This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the latest edition of the Show Before the Show podcast, the official podcast of Minor League Baseball, where uh, after a couple of crazy weeks with like all of us in and out and all of that, we are all now back in uh, in our respective locations. Samuel P. Dykstra and Benjamin Hill, both in the same room in the uh, in the MLB offices and uh, both quaffed immaculately. And that's how I want to kick off this week's episode of the Show Before the Show. Benjamin Hill has been growing his hair since the start of the pandemic. Uh, he is back to the Ben Hill that you uh, know and love and probably recognize more clearly. How does it feel, man? Yeah, I mean, I had cut my hair in December 2019 uh, prior to going to, w- to the winter meetings. I think that's what motivates most of my haircuts is like work-related events where I have some small sense of like professionalism being like, ah, I should clean myself up. And then, uh, you know, things happened and uh, I went from December 2019 all the way to the day before my uh, first road trip of 2021 uh, without a haircut. So how many months is that? I don't know. Um, 18, 19, 20. Uh, yeah, let's 19 months. Yeah, 19 months without a haircut. And uh, the day before I went on the road, um, the afternoon before, probably about 12 hours before I woke up at 3.30 a.m. for an early morning flight to Chattanooga. Went to a local barbershop, got it cut off because, you know, I was going on the road and I, I, want, I didn't want people to be like, wait, Ben Hill's here? Not that who knows how many people know me, but, you know, I meet people on the road who know me. And I didn't want them to be like, oh, I thought Ben was, Ben Hill was here, not this, uh, you know, not this unkempt uh, drummer from a 1970s rock band. Yeah, yeah. Not this roadie <laughs> for the Almond Brothers or whatever the case may be. Or just an Almond Brother. Or an Almond Brother. You know, hey, if you want to go big, big time, I'd love to. I'd love to be an Almond Brother. Well, it looks magnificent. Uh, Sam Dykstra, likewise. Did you get a recent haircut as well? Or is this just... No, no I oh, just... It just uh, looks this good every day because I'm still in my 20s. Excuse me, Sam. <laughs> I'm not in my Well, 20s. not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, 31. I thought it was 30. I'm a man. I'm 31 years old. <laughs> He's gone from boy to man. Sam, <laughs> Sam has graduated from boyhood. Uh, well, it looks equally <laughs> magnificent. this podcast. <laughs> This is, we obviously, we've, we've discussed many times. We are now, you know, under the MLB.com, the MLB pipeline umbrella. And uh, I listened to, to our good friends, Jason Ratliff and Jim Cowles and Jonathan Mayo on there. And it's amazing how much more professional they are <laughs> than the idiot who starts every episode of this show. Like new haircuts for everybody, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, anyway, I'm Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill in New York City. I do have to ask behind you right now, that's not like a window that's looking out on Radio City, is it? No, no. Oh, okay. Radio City is uh, to our right. Okay. There's like these, one. I don't know yeah. if those are like blinds or something that's hanging down, but there's like the way the camera looks. I was like, man, are you guys just looking right out at Radio City Music Hall right now? But no, I mean, we are in Midtown and all the buildings look very similar. So very similar. Pictures sure. you've seen of Radio City are going to be very similar to this one across the way uh, from us right here. But no, we are in the Tom Seaver room, Ah, um, which from our view 
uh, there's like a a sticker of Tom Seaver, and it looks like he's throwing lefty, and it's very much throwing me off. But oh, that is very um, strange. Yeah, we are on the floor here at the MLB offices. That is the all pitchers floor. Okay, gotcha. Tom Seaver is the one today, which is pretty cool. Very cool. I dig it. Um, It's also always good on an audio only medium for me to point out visually uh, inclined things that nobody else will be in on. Uh, Well, let's dive in on this week's episode of the show before the show. We thank you as always for tuning into our uh, unprofessional and ridiculous little jaunt um, through hair and architecture. And of course, the world of minor league baseball and uh, today's episode a special one because we welcome back Benjamin Hill from his very first road trip since 2019. Um, ben, before we dive into the uh, the last destination on that trip, which was Kannapolis, which I'm really excited to hear about, just how did it feel? You and Sam talked last week, but I, I didn't get a chance to be in on that conversation. How did it feel just being back on the road, especially now that you've returned from it and had a few days to kind of process uh, the return? Yeah, it was a mix of super exciting and a, a lot of pride and uh, gratitude that I could get back out there and interact with people again and just do this thing that uh, I've done for a decade and love to do. So it was a mixture of that and then just that feeling of, you know, the almost crushingly familiar aspect of it, you know, having done it so many times. Um, I, at certain times, I had to remind myself it had been two years since I'd done it because you know how it is. Once you go back into something you've done a lot, it starts to feel really familiar really quickly. So just to, to me, that was more like the small indignities of the road. Um, you know, having a hotel room key that doesn't open and not being able to find dinner at, after a game at midnight and uh, having something on the GPS being mixed up and going to the wrong place and all these little things that throughout the course of a day add up to this feeling that you're constantly busy, constantly stressed out, but then seemingly just not getting anywhere. And uh, so there were times I was like, dude, just relax, shake it off. You're on the road. It's all good. You bought a new phone charger at Walmart and that allowed you to use maps and Bluetooth on your phone, you know, rocking out, going to the correct locations. Bam. It was fun. I, I was back out there again. Well, that is fantastic. And uh, we were very excited that you were back out there. And I know last week you and Sam talked about a whole bunch uh, from the early days of the road trip, but you got to stop at one of the newest ballparks in minor league baseball in Kannapolis, North Carolina, the home now of the Kannapolis Cannonballers, formerly known, of course, as the Kannapolis Intimidators, who um, had a ballpark that was kind of located away from a lot. Uh, the new place is right in the center of town. I know it's been kind of looked at as one of the, the anchors of some uh, revitalization for the downtown area in Kannapolis. Tell us about the, the visit through to see the Cannonballers for the first time. Yeah, Atrium Health Ballpark. I, I really enjoyed that ballpark uh, for one, and a lot of that was the downtown location. Um, your view in that ballpark, if you're behind home plate, is to the left is uh, City Hall, and then Uh, To the right of that, kind of ringing the outfield, broadly speaking, are three large buildings that are kind of similar in style, kind of grand architectural, old-fashioned style to City Hall. And that's a a research campus for like nutritional health that's shared by a bunch of local universities. So you have this, uh, you know, fairly grand backdrop of these old buildings and you're in the heart of downtown around that. So, uh, you know, pro tip or amateur tip or anyone's tip. there's a lot of uh, free street parking around Kannapolis. If you get to a game reasonably early, you know, why not poke around downtown a little bit and uh, park for free, um, which is what I did both nights. Um, you know, there's the Dale Earnhardt Memorial Park around there, the Gem Theater, 
an old classic, uh, you know, one screen movie theater. It's still going. And uh, big picture, you know, I'm not an expert on the history or anything, but Kannapolis is a really interesting area. I mean, in a lot of ways right now, in one sense, it's almost greater Charlotte, the way the larger Charlotte metro area is expanding outward and outward. But Kannapolis is called Kannapolis because it was the home of the Cannon Mills Textile Company, one time one of the largest textile producers literally in the world. I think they actually had the distinction of producing more towels in Kannapolis than anywhere in the world. And uh, as happened to a lot of industry as the 20th century wore on, uh, things started to shut down, go overseas, layoffs. So the town, the way a lot of towns were, was decimated. And I think particularly so in Kannapolis as compared to a lot of others because there was so much employment there. And then these mass layoffs uh, you know, in a town that was literally named for the company <laughs> that, uh, that employed virtually everyone. So I think there was a lot of years where the future of Kannapolis in terms of is there going to be any sort of downtown? Is there any you know, real future in this city or is it going to be essentially increasingly a ghost town uh, with just only these faded memories of a industrial past? So, you know, I think they really went big in, in betting on not just the ballpark, but the downtown redevelopment. And it's cool to be there now. And uh, hopefully it's, it's not to start because it's already ongoing, but a huge development and uh, an ongoing reinvention that's successful for Kannapolis. And uh, it looks like they're on the way there with that. So I think that larger backstory about Kannapolis is interesting and why I really liked being there, uh, just to take that in and try to get a sense of, uh, you know, why the ballpark was there and what is going on. And I, th I think the obvious follow-up here is you've been to the old one, right? When was the last time you were in Kannapolis? Yeah, it was uh, seven years ago. I was one night, one night in 2014. That was a sort of ballpark. Uh, I remember it as being in the woods. I mean, it, it wasn't literally in the woods, but it was, you know, you're just driving down these, uh, you know, tree-lined road, and then all of a sudden there's a parking lot and a baseball park. You know, it wasn't really near anything. It was built 25-ish years ago, uh, kind of on the cheap. Um, certainly would not have survived the reorganization of minor league baseball that uh, occurred going into 2021. So the fact that Kannapolis has any minor league baseball now is 100% dependent on the fact that they got a new ballpark. I really liked the old ballpark. We'll just call it, it went through different corporate names, but let's just call it Intimidator Stadium because uh, it did go by that name at the end. And, uh, you know, the, the, the team at that time was named the Intimidators, uh, you know, Dale Earnhardt's nickname. And uh, I enjoyed my night there because it was the kind of place where, you know, I have fun and I think baseball fans have fun where you might only have 800 people, you know, at the ballpark on some Tuesday or Wednesday night, but they're the baseball weirdos collectively. And uh, I got some good stories, interesting fans, eccentric characters. And uh, I, I really like those kind of environments. I understand financially, economically, player amenity wise, they're not too viable and not viable at all really anymore. Uh, but I was glad I had that one night at the old ballpark um, to get a sense of what that was. And uh, yeah, so how does this compare then? And especially with this change, because you you brought up the Intimidators, um, switching to the Cannonballers, because I know they were, for a while, they were trying to go for like a circus type feel. Did that come through in the new place, especially with this new identity? Yeah, they're definitely going for that. And, uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time talking to the GM, Matt Millward, and um you know, he's, we've had him on the show before. You can go back and look up the Matt Millward interview mm. if you uh, want to learn more about uh, <clears throat> the Cannonballers. But, you know, the Cannonballers, it is, you know, the, the logo is essentially a guy who got shot out of a cannon. Um, you know, vaudeville, stuntman, circus performer sort of thing. 
So um, they do have uh, carnival games on the concourse, you know, ducks, ducks in a pond and ring toss and stuff like that. You have the ushers wearing, uh, you know, red and white vertically striped shirts. Um, most awesome as all of all, and certainly an article I'll have coming fairly soon, a uh, not just a ballpark organist, which I think most fans really love to see, but a concourse organist who you can just walk by and watch it work. And they really incorporate him into the game. A guy named, by the name of Jason Atkins, who goes by the you know, musician name of Greasy Keys. No S's in there. Greasy Keys, two Z's. And um, he also does uh, plays the organ for the uh, Charlotte hockey team, the Checkers. And uh, that was an awesome element that I think kind of ties into the larger carnivalesque um, kind of old-fashioned entertainment theme. And they really rely on him throughout the game for a lot of the between-inning music, a lot of cues throughout the game. It's not just one of those, oh, we have an organist and we'll give him a half inning to play one song and that's about it. He's on, he's a big part of the game day entertainment. And if I can get on a soapbox really quickly, you know, ballpark organists are great. And I don't really know how many people are clamoring for music being blared at almost too high a volume at most new ballparks over an organist. I mean, they still have some music. They still have other things going on. It's a new ballpark, but uh, to prioritize a live musician at the ballpark that really adds the atmosphere, it, to me, it's just like, who says no? It's just a really good thing to do. It is very cool. Um, another stop that was on the trip, of course, was Rocket City, where you got to acquaint yourself with the Trash Pandas, and specifically Trash Pandas manager Jay Bell, who was uh, the dude who scored the, of course, game-winning run in the 2001 World Series after the little bleeder into center field from Luis Gonzalez off Mariano Rivera. And um, Jay Bell, a, a dude who has been in baseball for a very long time. 1989, he made his big league debut uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And uh, for Jay Bell, now being someone who is – on this side of it and is uh, a member of an organization that, and actually I, I take that back 1986, he technically made his big league debut. He was with Cleveland for a few seasons before Pittsburgh. Um, but you remember him as a pirate. You remember him as a D back. Now he's a manager in the angels organization. Tell us about um, talking with Jay Bell and being somebody who he was named manager for that rocket city team prior to 2020, that season never happened. So he really had a year uh, to just kind of get acquainted, I guess, with being the inaugural manager of the rocket city trash pandas waiting around for that to come about. Yeah, you know, as you guys know, um, you know, I don't do a lot of player coach manager stuff on the road. But when I was in Rocket City, it was like, uh, you know, one, that's a familiar name. This is a guy who was, you know, drafted in 1984 and has spent virtually all his life since then in the game in one capacity or another. And, uh, you know, the Trash Pandas was such a unique name and branding and having to wait so long to actually play. I thought it'd be interesting to talk to the manager about, you know, his thoughts on the team name, his thoughts on the general area, uh, his thoughts on what it means to, uh, you know, be a manager and for his players to be the first, you know, in a city and, uh, you know, really nice guy. I think a lot of people around the game who know him uh, would say that. Uh, but as far as I can tell, um, you know, super nice guy, really genuine, um, down to earth, uh, just good talking to him for a while. And, um, you know, like, like a lot of people who've been in baseball a long time on the playing managing side of the equation, you know, he's, he, he, he could be guarded about certain things, you know, saying like, what do you think of the trash panda's name? You know, he's not going to be like, oh, this is a bunch of garbage. I can't stand it. Although I guess it is garbage. I mean, it's the trash <laughs> pandas. But, uh, you know, I, um, I'm not saying he doesn't like it. But, uh, you know, when you talk to people in the clubhouse, they they uh, they know not to divulge too much uh, sometimes. Um, so who knows? Um, but I think he really does like uh, the trash pandas, Rocket City being uh, the first manager 
uh, of the organization. Uh, he's from Pensacola originally. So um, <clears throat> the Blue Wahoos are in the same league. So he can, you know, go back to his hometown, visit friends and family in that league. Uh, obviously, you know, have a new ballpark that, you know, player development wise is, you know, one of the tops in the game right now being a new ballpark, uh, you know, I think is a great environment to work in. And, uh, you know, just that pride of being the first, you know, he was a member of the first Diamondbacks team ever. And he said, you know, here I am again, uh, different situation, different spin on it. But in a way, it's a similar situation is that, you know, I have an opportunity and my players have the opportunity to make a mark in the way that other teams can't by literally being the first. And I hadn't thought of that before interviewing him, but I kind of thought that was interesting, you know, you know, literally an original Diamondback. And now uh, 23 years later, he's uh, an original Trash Panda. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't even thought of that either. So that's that's a definitely a good way of putting that. And it's funny thinking back, like, didn't Diamondbacks feel like a funny name back then too? Was that something that was discussed much back then? Uh, oh yeah. And Devil Rays. Devil Rays oh, yeah. and Diamondbacks. Came in at the yeah. same time and they were both very weird. Yeah, I like how young Sam is like, old Ben, what was it like back then? Tell me of the late 90s. <laughs> Tell, Tell me, me of the, the times. <laughs> I just remember my Crayola crayons from back then. Did people talk about it on the internet? Was that around at this time? Young Ben. Young, sweet Ben. Yeah, that was me in 98. I was, I was young, sweet Ben. But yeah, I mean, it did seem like, I mean, now, just like anything else, you know, you get used to it and you don't think twice. But yeah, right. that was weird, of course, being a Diamondback. And I'm sure it was a lot to, for the players to get used to. And uh, then it becomes normal. And I, I would say the same thing about the Trash Pandas. If they're still the Trash Pandas in, oh God, 20... 44 <laughs> we won't be thinking twice we won't be batting an eye we'll be like, oh, trash pandas you know that just made me i just aged into dust on that <laughs> <laughs> well not only that it just makes you think of like what is the next generation of names then like if diamondbacks felt weird in the 90s and now we're at the point where trash pandas feels different and new like what how far does that envelope get pushed and that's that's a topic for another podcast we can we can sit on and think on that in the off season if any uh rebrands come then but um anyways Sticking on Rocket City, uh, Ben, but also transitioning here to our interview, uh, you got to speak to somebody else while you were over there in the Madison area of Alabama. Uh, tee us up th this interview you did during your time in Rocket City. Yeah, you know, I'm always collecting a lot of interviews on the road and uh, lots of people to talk to and to highlight. And for this one, I thought it would make for a good podcast segment, talking to Bubba Hearn, uh, talking about being original Trash Pandas. Bubba Hearn is the original first ever uh, Rocket City Trash Pandas clubby. And one big picture, I just like talking to clubbies and I like one on the road, uh, being able to interview people who generally don't get interviewed and just, you know, sharing uh, their perspectives. But one of the reasons I uh, spoke with Bubba is because of a specific element of his season that I thought was kind of a standalone uh, unique anecdote. And that's this. On the Rocket City Trash Pandas, who of course was supposed to debut in 2020, Finally debuted in 2021. It was on the road in Chattanooga on May 4th. Well, that got rained out. So it was May 5th. Um, but a couple of Rocket City um, front office members went to Chattanooga to watch the first tra Trash Pandas game. And Bubba Hearn, the clubby, went along. And he had a very special task, which was to collect historic firsts of the Trash Pandas organization. So you think about this in Major League Baseball, where there'd be authenticators and all sorts of high-level processes and uh, you know, scans and codes and you know, high, high security and stuff. This is what I kind of still love about the minors is, hey, 
a double A team is playing their first uh, first game ever. We want some memorabilia. Send the clubby on the road, and uh, he'll he'll track it down. So it's just about how he did that: getting baseballs, putting them into plastic baggies, uh, and bringing them back home. So the first game was actually May fifth. The first batter in Trash Panda's history was David McKinnon, who hit a single. So that was a ball of his to get. The first pitch in the bottom of the first was thrown by Reed Detmers. And uh, it wasn't until the next day that the first home run in Trash Panda's history was hit on May 6th by Matt Jones, who has since retired. So one of the last things he ever did uh, as a player um, was uh, hit the first home run in Trash Panda's history on May 6th. So this is Bubba Hearn, clubby for the Rocket City Trash Pandas, talking about his job in general, but specifically his special mission of tracking down historic baseballs in the woods of Chattanooga and at the ballpark itself and wherever that task might take. Having your own home is awesome, but it's also a lot of work. The good news, finding help for your projects is easier than ever. Introducing Angie, the app that puts all your home care needs at your fingertips. Need a pro to fix that emergency leak? Maybe find someone to build a deck or even set your seasonal tasks on autopilot. Angie can handle all that and more. Expert pros, hundreds of home projects, clear pricing, and the easiest way to book and pay in seconds. This is Angie, your home for everything home. Download the app today. Here on the show before the show podcast, I'm speaking with Bubba Hearn, the clubhouse manager for the Rocket City Trash Pandas in their inaugural season. But he's a veteran of uh, being a clubhouse manager in minor league baseball. You said you've been doing this for almost two decades now? Almost, yeah. Started as a bat boy in 03, and then, uh, yeah, worked my way up. Was an assistant in Albuquerque for a few years. Well, actually, quite a few years. <laughs> for almost 10, and then took over. I was a head guy there with the Dodgers and then went over to Reno and Mobile with the Diamondbacks for a few years and then, you know, it was 2020 happened and then early 21 went, moved to Arizona looking maybe I can get back in the game and Angels called and was able to work spring training with them and then come here to Huntsville with the team. So, Yeah, and when the season finally started after there wasn't a 2020 season, 2021, the season kicks off in Chattanooga, Trash Pandas visiting the Lookouts, and you made the trip, and one of your responsibilities on that trip was to get the historic firsts. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about your mission in traveling to Chattanooga for those historic first games? Yeah, just, uh, you know, asked if I was going, yeah, I'll be there, and they're like, hey, you know, it's... We've never played ball before, so we need all the, you know, all the good stuff, all the first pitch, first hit, first everything. So, you know, that first game, spent the first couple innings in the dugout, collecting all that, Reed throwing the first pitch for the Pandas, and I can't remember who, I think it was Ditter got the first actual hit. And then, you know, late in the game, it was a a game one of a doubleheader the second day, actually. Wasn't really too worried about getting any more firsts or thinking too much of it and heard guys in the clubhouse telling the ball to get out when I noticed it was gone and you know one of our guys that hit it you got to go get that one you know first home run in the trees there behind lookout stadium and so went on a little journey through the forest and the bugs and the creators and just found the fresh one back there in the general area where the ball went over and I was like this has got to be it it's the only one dry not waterlogged not eaten (laughs) so 
collected that one too for the team. So this is May 6th, and if you can kind of, you said you were in the clubhouse. Uh, you can set the scene in terms of who hit it and. Uh... Yeah, I was in there helping their, uh, the visiting guy there in Chattanooga, getting some laundry done and a few other things. And uh, I had Jonesy as a Diamondback before, so at spring training, you know, that's one of my buddies, you know, we reminiscing about the good old days and stuff before COVID and <laughs> all the good times we had in Reno and then. You know, moving on, it was exciting when, you know, he was one of the guys I'd get in the clubhouse, so we'd keep that bond and, you know, just be one of the guys. That's just one of the ones I've always had who was one of my better dudes. Like, he's just one of a great friend, actually, like, over the years. So when I heard it was him, I had to go get that ball. So, <laughs> But as you mentioned, uh, Chattanooga, it's, it's a woody area, a hilly area. Oh, yeah. So when he hits the ball, Jones hits the ball – what do you do? You run outside the stadium? Uh, so, luckily, it was on the the left side of center, left field side of center, a little over the bullpen there in front of their grounds crew shack in the back. If it would have been any more towards right field, it would have just been down a cliff into some crazy trees. So, was lucky enough it stayed up on the hill over there. And So, yeah, I went around the ballpark through the ground screw thing, found a hole in the fence, and just started searching and was like, this has got to be the general area. And as I was, like, figuring out this should be it, there it was. Just a nice pearl ready to be picked up. <laughs> now, did you find other balls where they were just too beat up? Oh, yeah. There's plenty of BP balls and older home run balls just waterlogged and weathered. And, you know, it looks like a couple bugs probably turned some into homes. But, yeah, there was – I mean, it was the only one back there that was freshly hit. Yeah, so you found the pearl, and what it was like in that moment? Was there a real sense of relief? Yeah, I was, I was excited. I was like, hell yeah, this is awesome. This is, this is one they're going to want back home. Like, it was, you know, the first one in history. You know, you can't take that away from him. You can't take that away from the team. And, you know, it's a special moment for the guys, for Jones especially. Like, you know, he coming here, guy who's been in AAA, up and down, been around. And, yeah, to be, you know, his name's going to always be in the record books of the Pandas. So to get that and get it for the team and bring it back home, you know, it'll sit up there with all the other ones we'll get. Yeah, now in Major League Baseball, when there's a historic ball hit, they've got authenticators and all sorts of high-tech process. But for you, it was just finding the ball, and I saw the team, the Trash Pandas tweeted, it was safe and secure in a Ziploc bag. (laughs) Yeah, I took some Ziploc bags with me on the trip and, like, Wrote down, had the first of game one, I had all that stuff ready. I had, you know, Reed's first pitch to whoever was batting. Had their pitcher, you know, that'll be the first pitch to, it was either Ditter or, pretty sure it was Ditter or Martinez that led us off, you know, the first AB in Panda history. So I had him written on that one and just, you know, told their catcher, told our catcher, told the ump, like, hey, that first inning, I'm going to need, you know, all that first stuff. And so it took a couple batters to get the first hit. So when that one went down, I'm yelling at the first baseman, hey, oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, wheeled that one over to me in the dugout. And, yeah, threw him in a baggie because that's all I really had to keep them separated. And then, yeah, kept them safe for the trip back to Huntsville. Yeah, and then once you get back to Huntsville uh, with this historic stash of Trash Pandas first, uh, where do they go from there? Uh, I took them to our uh, GM, Garrett. You know, had my equipment bag of everything going to his office, and you know, half looked like I'm doing a drug deal. If someone in the other, the main office doesn't know what's <laughs> going on, I'm just pulling baggies out of my bag, going, "This one's this one, this one's this one." Here you go. Like, you know, had the lineup card secured from game one, 
And then I believe it was game three was our first win, so I helped make sure we got that one back too for the first Panda victory. You know, and then did the same thing, got ready for, you know, our home opener and did the same kind of thing when we were here. You know, first pitch of the game at home, got that one. First Panda hit at home, got that one. First home run, though, some lucky fan got that one. I was too busy there later in the game that day, and <laughs> you can walk all the way around our ballpark as a fan, so that one, someone's got that one at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't get them all. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess uh, having minor league baseball, the cliche is other duties is assigned, and uh, that oh, yeah. certainly applies to being a clubhouse manager. Uh, for you, it was just another day on the job? Or? Oh, yeah. And how does this rank in terms of what some of the stranger tasks you've been assigned? Uh, you know, it's it's not one of the – I mean, it's up there, I guess, in a sense. I mean, I get – you know, there's random requests all the time for players and, you know, something for my wife, something personal for them. But, like, you take pride in doing that kind of stuff. You know, it's the first time since, what, 14 or 15 we've had baseball here in Huntsville, so – you know the city's going to love it. You know it's going to go up somewhere, either in the walkway entrance somewhere, in the office, and, like, you can't take that away from those guys. You know, Reed throwing the first pitch ever in Panda history, the hits, the home run by Jones, like, that's going to live on for a long time after all of our careers are gone. Like, people are going to look back and be like, that was the year it came back. That's the year it started here. I mean, I, I remember that moment when I was in Albuquerque as a kid. <clears throat> being lucky enough to be a bat boy after baseball was gone for four seasons in Albuquerque, like, that was awesome. So, like, you remember all that stuff. How I mean, it was a big deal there, too. Hey, we need that first pitch. We need that first hit, you know, and as a bat boy, okay, hey, I got to be on top of that stuff. And speaking of history and historic, you're the historic first clubhouse manager in Trash Pandas history. Do you believe there's anything uh, of your possessions that should be preserved for history as um, – significant and and that it says that baseball is back um i don't know like you know as a as a clubhouse manager always under the radar really to most of it like there's a lot of people have no idea hey there's a guy who's handling all that gear all the clothes all that stuff like it kind of gets lost in all of it but like i mean it'd be cool if one day you know there's something up there but I guess I'd have to do something a little more significant to be noticed in a way or something. Maybe if I did something in the moment, we could save that piece. But, I mean, as for now, like, I'm I'm happy being the first guy. I'm honored that the Angels and the guys who knew me through the years of being a clubby were like, hey, we don't have a guy there. It's going to be new. You're going to be overwhelmed by different things. We need somebody with that experience. And I'm truly honored that both the angels and the trash pandas looked at me and said hey yeah we want you a guy like you to be the one to start us off to set the bar where we want the standard to be and that that is an honor in itself like i'm i'm you know i'll be glad when i do have the opportunity to move on like to pass that torch and you know this is where this is what they expect here this is what we do as trash pandas and you know that that in itself to me is i'm, I'm honored about that well, Bubba, congrats on tracking down that historic home <laughs> run ball. Congrats on being the historic first clubby, and uh, thanks for talking to me on yeah. the Show Before the Show podcast. Thank you, sir. Yeah. It was a pleasure. Finding the perfect gift for your family members can be a struggle. Our family hasn't been able to get together for quite a while now. 
so I felt like the pressure was really on. Luckily, I found the perfect way to bring us all together safely. At PaintYourLife.com, you get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photo at a truly affordable price. Choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect and receive it in about three weeks. At PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word PODCAST to 64000. That's PODCAST to 64000. Text PODCAST to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com terms. Again, text PODCAST to 64000. Rolling along on this week's episode of the show before the show, big thanks to Benjamin Hill for uh, providing us with so much this week, his interviews and his upcoming stories and all of that. You can check Ben's content out from the road at MILB.com. And you can, of course, find him on social media at Ben's Biz on Twitter at the Ben's Biz on Instagram. And uh, just me and Sam for three strikes for this week's episode of the show as we'll kick it off with some major league debuts, some guys who uh, we've been waiting on. It feels like a while who have finally graduated to the big league level, Jaron Duran with the Boston Red Sox. Brandon Marsh with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Uh, and of course, Josiah Gray, friend of the show in recent uh, year, just about a year ago, we had Josiah Gray on eh, a little bit over a year ago, I guess now. Um, Brandon Marsh, we were just looking. We had Brandon Marsh on the show all the way back in the fall of 2019. Uh, when he was the number two Angels prospect in the Arizona Fall League that year is where we uh, spoke with Brandon Marsh. Um, and a few guys who have graduated and made their debuts um, and are part of playoff pushes, of course, uh, at varying degrees. But uh, Sam, who's most likely to make an impact the rest of the way among those three? I mean, if we're going to phrase the question that way, I think the answer probably is Jaron Duran. Uh, the Red Sox very much in a, in a place right now where if they are going to call up a top 100 prospect like they are in Duran right now, it's because they're going to play him. They're going to utilize him. They want him up for a, a reason. Um, Jaron Duran, somebody you got to see, Tyler, during Olympic qualifying. Uh, we heard lots of reports last year from the outside in Pawtucket that he had increased his power, and that's a huge deal for him because he's a premium athlete. He has a plus-plus run tool. Um, a little raw in terms of his defense, defense in center field, but the fact that he can cover that much ground is a great sign. He was a very good hitter in college. Was a very good hitter his first full season uh, in the Red Sox system. So if he was starting to add power, then he was really becoming a complete player, and that's what made him a top 100 prospect. We added him to the top 100 list in the middle of the season once we saw that the power was real. Um, so the fact that the Red Sox called him up when they did, they've played him a lot at center field so far he showed off that power he had an opposite field homer in buffalo for his first uh major league home run i think out of those three he's most likely to get a lot of playing time he's not going to sit back i know that they've already benched no i don't want to say benched him but they've kept him off the off the starting roster uh against left-handers we'll see how that continues but the fact that he's up he's going to get consistent playing time and if that he can carry that uh, power surge that he showed at AAA. And again, going back to last year's alt site, then the Red Sox are going to have a pretty good player on their hands. And the fact that they had Kike Hernandez in center field and he was doing pretty well for them, especially on the defensive side, um, he slides probably back to the infield. It is a good place for the Red Sox to be at a time right now, whereas we're recording this, they are a game ahead of the Rays in the AL East. We know the Rays can surge at any time. Um, 
Red Sox kind of an upstart season so far, but if they are in this place where they are in the thick of the AL East race, they want to stay there and adding Durant is a huge piece for them. Uh, Brandon Marsh and Josiah Gray going to the complete other coast. Uh, exciting to see both of them get up. Uh, I was kind of hoping to see Josiah Gray earlier in the season, but a shoulder impingement for him uh, kept him on the sidelines for longer than he or or we would have liked. Um, got a little bit of time in the minors before getting a call to, to L.A., but that was because the Dodgers need arms right now. Um, the Dodgers, again, in, in the thick of an NL West race where the Giants – are playing some of the best baseball in the major leagues. Uh, the Padres, we know what they can do night in, night out. And the Dodgers, as, as deep as they, we thought they were, are showing to be a little thin at the starting pitching spot. But the fact that they can bring up a top 100 prospect in Josiah Gray is a great sign for them. I'm um, going to be interested to see what role they use him in and how long they're going to use him for. I mean, it's, it's a starting pitching uh, arsenal for him. But is he going to be a bulk guy? Is he going to be a multi-inning reliever? Is he going to be a spot starter? Uh, you know, think back to the way they used Dustin May and Tony Gonsolin when they were coming up. Uh, those guys kind of got eased into the rotation if they ever really did make the rotation. So, you know, what, who is Josiah Gray going to be? He's probably their 2021 version of that. Uh, and then Brandon Marsh, the Angels – Trying to figure out who the Angels are in 2021 is fascinating. Um, they will add Mike Trout at some point. Is that going to kick Brandon Marsh back to AAA Salt Lake? We'll have to see how that's going. I know Mike Trout was just starting to work out on a major league field. Sounds like a rehab appearance isn't too far away for him. But Brandon Marsh, um, again, there's a reason why he's one of the best prospects in the game. He can kind of show you all five tools. Nothing is negative on his report for sure. Uh, he gets plus grades for his hit, run, arm, and fielding. Uh, the power might be slightly average from the left side, but he can add some to that. Um, I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He was coming back from his own shoulder issues. He seemed really enthused by when the injury happened, why it happened. It sounds like he wasn't really taking much care of his shoulder, uh, and he, it's something he had never thought of. Now it's something he is thinking about. Uh, so what's going to happen to him now that he can kind of, you know, put that behind him a little bit. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, the power was kind of there, but everything else was. He was slugging 468 at Salt Lake in limited time, batting 255 at a 364 on base percentage, uh, 16 walks against 29 strikeouts. So it, the fact that the Angels are bringing him up is, is interesting to me. Um, they are skipping him over Joe Adele, who got, made his major league debut last year. Uh, what happens in the coming months, we'll have to, to wait and see. But injuries, again, have kind of decimated the, the Angels' outfield depth. And, and what happens once Strout comes back? Is Marsh going to be kicked back down? We'll have to wait and see. So it, at a, right now, I think, uh, given when these guys were called up and their major league situations, I think Duran has the best opportunity uh, to impact Major League Baseball over these next com coming months. Um, but – who knows? Martian and Gray certainly have the ceilings to stick in the majors as well and really force their ways into the major league uh, puzzle in both L.A. markets. Strike two this week. We are uh, now just 10 days away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline and teams gearing up for a push toward the postseason. Other teams rebuilding and in need of prospects and all of that. And uh, generally, those squads all come together as trade partners as we get closer to the end of July. Sam, uh, who is the most notable prospect that you see who should be on alert to possibly be moving organizations by the time this deadline comes and goes? Yeah, I... 
I don't want to say this is definitely going to happen because I, I don't want to say I have inside information about this possibly happening, but you start to look at the landscape and who is going, you know, who will be buyers uh, this year. And it seems like more teams could be buyers than sellers, which is going to be ca causing an interesting market. Um, the one name I will throw out just because I don't know how he fits where he is. And he really basically needs a change of scenery anyways. And he's also enjoying a really good season is Kiebert Ruiz. Uh, sticking in that Dodgers system. He's batting 294 this year. He's got a 369 OBP, 589 slugging, 13 homers in 46 games at AAA Oklahoma City. Uh, but there's a reason why he's not knocking on the door to LA, and it's because the LA Dodgers have a really good catching setup themselves, you know, led by Will Smith up there. Uh, Ruiz is only 23. He's a switch hitter. Uh, he's currently number 41 overall prospect, according to MLB Pipeline. Uh, but if I'm the Dodgers, and again, they, they should be looking at starting pitching help and look at some of these prices that are going to uh that they're going to need to pay to to bring in somebody who can pitch every fifth day i would think about trading ruiz just because he definitely has value to other teams he he has starting catching potential almost at in any other uh system he just doesn't have a spot right now and given the offensive improvements that he's shown this year uh, at oklahoma city the fact that he is really growing into his offensive potential. We thought he could be an above average uh, hitter overall. It, that's really starting to shine through because he's been young pretty much everywhere else he's played. He's got a little bit of major league experience, um, but he probably could move it right into the major league team for a vast number of teams that are going to be buyers at this deadline. Uh, so number 41, I know, isn't like a giant headliner uh, on trade deadline day, but as I look at it right now, I mean, Ruiz, moving to a new organization, getting that change of scenery, getting an opportunity to actually wedge his way into a catching situation. And the Dodgers also needing to use a big chip to, to get the uh, pitching help that they need to get over the hump and get past the Padres and Giants in the NL West. It just seems like too perfect to fit right now. And strike three this week as we uh... – near some huge days in the uh, prospect world. This is always like a very anxiety filled time. Uh, Sam and I always make jokes about how, you know, and one day Jerry DePoto is going to snatch us up and trade us away to, you know, somebody for other podcast hosts to be named. But I remember even like working at the team level, um, this is not strike three. This is just a dovetailed topic. Uh, you get closer to the 31st of July. It's like a little bit of an anxious and kind of weird time for guys. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and just talking about that, just saying like Kiber Ruiz could be traded. Like, I I don't want to say like, oh, he definitely should be traded and, and that sounds bad. And that sounds like a, a wrong thing to say. And um, I know that the rumor mill is not fun to go through if your name is attached to it. I mean, imagine just from a human level, right. finding out like if we were being told, hey, we're, we're going to be moved to a new job entirely. Right. Like, we're going to go cover the NBA now, potentially. Not even confirmed, just potentially you might be going to cover the NBA. Uh, it's it, that would be rough. That's rough to go through. Yeah. So uh, especially this year in which like non waiver deals are not a thing. The trade deadline is a very hard deadline. I think that's going to make it easier for a lot of players to breathe easier come July 31st. Um, but, you know, the, there are good things that can come with trades. There are bad things that can come with trades. Uh, Getting traded to a team as a prospect probably means you're going from a competitive system to a non-competitive system, one that's trying to build up and uh, build around its young talent, which as a young player could be good for you. It also means 
you know, you, you are not trying to make a major league team that is going to play meaningful baseball in the same, second half. So there's just so many factors that get involved in, with this. And, and the more we talk to players about it, like one of my favorite things to talk to players about is what was your reaction when you get traded? Yeah. How do you view that? And I realize that sometimes that sounds like a monotonous question if you get it all the time, but it's just something that doesn't happen in any other walk of life. It is definitely strange, and it'll be an interesting next 10 days um, as we're recording this on the 21st. Final topic on three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. We're uh, checking in on the minor league baseball home run leaderboard, uh, including a player who just made his move up to the next level who is at the top of that leaderboard, and that is Griffin Conine, who uh, made the jump from high A to double A from Beloit in the Miami Marlins organization to Pensacola. Um, Griffin Conine with 23 home runs. Behind them, there are five guys who are tied with 19 homers. So he's got a, a pretty sizably padded lead uh, four ahead of a five-player group that includes Brent Rooker in uh, the Minnesota Twins organization and Joe Adele and the Angels organization. Um, Sam, your thoughts? Griffin Conine, I think before the season, none of us had him as the, uh, as the minor league home run leader, uh, I don't believe. But your thoughts on uh, where this minor league home run board sits right now? Yeah, I mean, Griffin Conine is kind of fascinating because uh, he is the son of Jeff Conine, for all of you thinking that at home. Uh, why does that name sound familiar? Obviously, Jeff Conine uh, was known as Mr. Marlin. So this is just kind of a nice fit for Griffin Conine to now be in the Marlin system. He used to be in the Toronto Blue Jays system, um, got traded actually last September as a player to be named later. Um, so the fact that he's taking off already in the Marlin system is fascinating. Uh, he has hit homers in the past. He, he has above average uh, homer potential from the left side. He is 24 years old. So the fact that he started out at high A, he was certainly taking advantage of that level. Now is the time when he's going to be challenged here at double A. Um, you could even make a case at that age. You know, he was 2018 second round pick out of Duke, uh, you know, three years ago. So you can make a case that he probably should already be at triple A. But the fact that He's doing this now is certainly a credit to him. Like you said, Tyler, he is, I don't want to say lapping the field, but he has certainly got a comfortable lead there with 23 homers just started out at, at Pensacola. Um, but looking at, you know, what he was able to do to put in the charge here, um, just looking at his July before the promotion, he had eight of those homers in 16 games, but he had a batting average of 207. Um, so this is a guy who's just swinging out of his shoes to make all this contact. He struck out, 22 times in 73 plate appearances. So he's going to strike out a lot, uh, but when he makes contact, it's going to be loud. Now it's going to be tough because double A hitters or, or double A pitchers, excuse me, are going to take even more advantage of that approach from him. Um, so I, I wouldn't make him the favorite at this point to hold on to that lead, but the fact that he has a four homer lead is certainly going to help him. And listen, if he wants to keep swinging from his shoes and adds 12 homers in the next two months or uh yeah, two months, essentially two and a half months before the season ends, that would be 35. Like that's pretty comfortable to win the home run race in the minor leagues on a normal year. So something to keep an eye on here with Griffin Conine is that hit tool going to be exploited at the second highest level of the minors. We always say the jump from high A to double A might be the biggest in all the minor leagues. Um, something to keep an eye on there, but some other, you know, big names certainly behind him, Brent Rooker, Joe Adele, MJ Melendez, keeping an eye on that one. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely keep an eye on this home run lead, but it is notable that Griffin Conine got a promotion double A. 
Mr. Marlon Jr. And uh, that'll do it for this week's uh, three strikes on the show before the show. We'll be back to wrap things up coming up next after maybe a special visit from uh, one Joshua Jackson. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of Ghosts of the Miners. Now, here's your correspondent and host, Joshua Jackson. Welcome back to Ghosts of the Miners, in which all of you out there in Radio Land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. Your grandpappy might have told you about one, but if he told you about the others, he was lying. <laughs> In the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A. The Deerfield Dentists. B. The Evansville Litigators. C. The Temple Surgeons. I hope you were prepped and patient for this one because see, the Temple Surgeons were on the job in the Texas Association from 1924 to 1926. Although they never won a title, the Surgeons operated as paragons of precision. In their inaugural campaign, they carved up the competition under the leadership of former big leaguer Rankin Johnson. Temple had other rankers too. Bill Brown had once been a St. Louis Brown, as had Roy Mitchell, who managed and pitched for the club in 25. Mitchell's medical moniker team was 31-19 and 19 through its first 50 games, but the Corsicano Oilers, led by Miners legend Smeed Jolly, were neck and neck, or nick and nick, or temple to temple, with temple all year, and ultimately won out. The Surgeons flatlined partially because of the bombastic barrage of quality pitching from the Palestine Pals Boom Boom Beck, who posted a 2-12 ERA that year, and went on to play in a dozen big league seasons. Any parent would welcome a doctor for a child, and in the final year of the Texas Association, the Texas League's Waco Cubs became parent club of the Surgeons. The Association and the East Texas League merged to form the new Lone Star League for 1927. It's not surprising that Temple has been left out, wrote Deke Handler in the Port Arthur News that January. Waco doesn't feel it was worth it and abandoned the surgeons at the close of the 1926 race. And that's the post-mortem on the temple surgeon. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these astronomically aspiring squads shot for the moon as a real miner's team? A. The Allagash North Stars. B. The Lodi Orions. C. The Jefferson County Gemini. Want to know the answer? Watch the sky. Or tune in next time to Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer, Ben Hill, is stealing pies from windowsills, and there's not a designated eater in sight. Saying goodbye for this week's episode of the show. Before the show, we hope last weekend you very much enjoyed the free weekend of MILB.TV and Sam's fantastic work, of course, highlighting some of the best matchups that you should keep an eye on and that you should be watching. Um, this week, we're both looking at really the same squad for MILB TV, a team that got a couple of top prospects promoted to its ranks, and that is the AAA Omaha Storm Chasers in the Kansas City Royals organization who now boast a pair of studs in that system. Sam, tell us about it. Yeah, so just this week, 
uh, as is becoming kind of commonplace. Monday is, is moving day in the minor leagues because so many teams have Monday off. So that's when you promote your prospects. Everybody's moving around the country. Uh, that's, that's the time to promote your guys. So Nick Prado and Bobby Witt Jr. Both get promoted from AA Northwest Arkansas, moving up to AAA Omaha in the Royal system. Both of those guys hit number two and number three in the Storm Chasers lineup. So they're getting thrown right into the mixer there. Uh, look pretty solid. I got to watch that game on Tuesday. Bobby Witt Jr. singled up the middle uh, for his first hit. I think Nick Prado had a hit of his own as well as a couple walks. Bobby Witt Jr. picked up another infield single as well. So those guys looking like they were not worried about the AAA level whatsoever. Uh, Omaha is at home this week. They are playing against St. Paul. Uh, members of the Twins organization. We talked about Brent Rooker before. He's in the middle of the MILB home run race. Uh, so there's a bat to keep an eye on from the Saints side. But your focus should be on Bobby Witt Jr. and Nick Prado. I got a question on Twitter uh, after the uh, promotions were announced. Could these guys conceivably make Kansas City this year? I think that's within reach for sure which is kind of crazy to say from Witt's perspective because this is, for all intents and purposes, his first full season. But given what we heard last year at the alt site, given what we saw this year at spring training, given that, you know, I talked to members of the Royals front office uh, in the spring and they were legitimately debating whether Bobby Witt Jr. should start the year at double A AA or triple A. Now he's here at triple A. Uh, and again, if, if he's not looking scared, if he's bringing that same approach, that same good right-handed hitting stroke that is better for power than hit right now, but can do both very well. Uh, th there's every chance that Kansas City could promote him before the end of the year, but this weekend, anytime really, while he's still on that AAA roster, you're going to want to catch him on MILB TV. So the, the next couple of days, that'll be against St. Paul at home in Omaha. And that will do it for this week's episode of the show before the show. You can get in touch, podcast at MILB.com. Uh, Sam is on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, MILB. I am at Tyler Vaughn. And uh, until next week, he's Sam and I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you then.